I think I've seen enough. To counteract a lifetime of cis-het frat bro bias? I, I doubt it. Okay. So tell me, what was I supposed to take from that? Zelda doesn't know it yet, but what she just set in motion is going to change the library forever. Same with Fen and Fillory, Katie, and all of magic. When you file people away as sidekicks, you don't realize their importance to the story, and this story belongs to a lot more people than you think. Where to shove a book? It's not a little thing. You're telling the world what to value, who to value. You get our responsibility here? It's well said. I think you've earned the right to move up. Excuse me? I know so much about you and your friends, but you never asked me how I died. Okay, um, how did you die? Arrow to the chest during the Crusades. The Crusades? A, a thousand years ago? We really thought the story was all about white guys back then, believe me. And I'm not new at all. I'm actually your supervisor's supervisor. So, you're my boss. I fully see the irony of a white guy giving you this test, but ladies upstairs love a twist, so they always send me. Send you to what? To promote you. You're clearly ready for the next level. Which is? Secrets taken to the grave. You're gonna collect them. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, and um, I'm afraid we're gonna need you to start right away. Welcome to episode 407 of Physical Kids Weekly, The Side Effect. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And once again, we've been be- blessed by not one but two guests. Our first guest plays not one but two pennies on The Magicians, and he's joining us all the way from Bombay just a few short weeks after his wedding. Yep, that's right. It's, Ar- <laughs> it's Arjun Gupta. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> and our second guest is the writer behind this week's episode, and we're so excited we have the chance to talk to her about it because we have so many questions. Elle Lipson, welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. Thanks for having me back. Great to talk to you guys. <laughs> um, so, Arjun, first, mazel tov on your nuptials. How was the Thank wedding? Thank you. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. It was truly... You know, you, uh, I don't know how many people that listen to this have planned uh, an Indian wedding, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people that have planned a wedding know it's an all-encompassing sort of... Um, experience and for an Indian wedding it can be even more because there's a lot that we do <laughs> um, it's a two-day thing right it was a ours was a two-day it can be it can be as many days as people want it to be um, but you know I was so it actually we just got married last Monday so um, I guess this is we're like eight days in it was amazing. I mean, it was just incredible. As all the hard work and all the days that I was just like, why the fuck are we doing this? We've already, because we were already legally married last May. Avarsha and I have been married for, because we started the whole immigration process. So um, there were times when I was planning this and I was like, why, why are we doing this? Like, we're married. Can we just like hang out? Um, <laughs> but it was, it was so worth it. It was just like the most beautiful thing to, um, to have your community there. And then I didn't, I didn't imagine or didn't expect how powerful it would be 
to say vows to each other in front of your community in a sort of sacred ceremony type space. And we added our own vows to the the, the Hindu ceremony vows that we we said. Um, and it was it was so it's just such a beautiful um like solidifying of your connection and of your commitment. And, and it's great. I mean, it's, I don't know why people, there's <laughs> marriage is getting such like a bad rep these days, man. That's great. Y'all should get married people. Like do it. It's lovely. I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm into it too. I've been married to my husband for almost 12 years now. So, <laughs> yeah. And can I just take a, a personal moment for a second to thank everyone that reached out? This community, what, the reason that um, I was ha- so thrilled and happy to, to get back on the show while I'm in Bombay um, a week after I got married was because you guys are such an incredible group of humans. Uh, and I feel very privileged and for- fortunate that I know y'all. The messages that y'all sent were so sweet. And is they're so genuine, you know, it was a genuine like message of love and good wishes from people that I don't actually know, but I could feel who actually were sending their love, which is just, that's a beautiful gift. And I want to thank you. And Claire, you sent such a beautiful message that was really, um, oh, it was really appreciated by me and my wife. Okay. Um, so thank you guys. It was really, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Your be- your wedding was very beautiful. All the pictures, I was, I was in awe. Yeah, thank you. It was it it looked fantastic. So much color. Ugh. Yeah, this was it, man. Yeah. That's what's fun about India, man. You come back to the U.S. and you're like, why don't we like color? Like, why do buildings <laughs> have to be gray or glass? Well, and you spend a lot of time in New York yeah. too, right? So it's it's all black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything about it looked so joyful it was so awesome yeah. to see I mean, it just turned out I mean we, we worked really hard to try to make a space that was going to be like that and the reason that we call ourselves two idiots is because um, we wanted to kind of capture that spirit that, that we found with each other which is one of like acceptance and kindness and safety which allows us to be our purest selves and I, I when I meet people who are in their kind of purest form or have found that partner that allows that. Um, it's what Marianne Williamson calls unlocking your light. That's, I mean, that's my interpretation of that, that phrase. Um, I, I found that silliness tends to be a part of that, you know, um, and joy is a huge part of that. And so um, we wanted, we wanted to kind of capture this two idiot spirit and, um, and and for, unfortunately for however it happened, we were and it was it was just uh, it was just um, it was incredible. It was, it was really yeah. yeah yeah. So glad you could have that. Yeah, me too. I feel very. I mean, I'm just like sitting on a wealth of gratitude and like feelings of fortunateness. That's not a word, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. So, L, how are you? What's been going on in your life since we spoke last summer? Any new projects? Any new puppies? <laughs> uh, yes, new puppy. Uh, <laughs> I am very obsessed with my new dog. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, on hiatus between seasons and itching to get back into the room for season five. Yes. Uh, and yeah, life's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Arjun, one of our listeners, Brittany, 
observing that you are a traveler in real life as well as on the show, asked, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go and why? Um, oof, right now, nowhere. I'm tired out. I'm, <laughs> done. I'm, I'm very happy sitting in Bombay for a little bit. Um, I, I desperately want to see the Northern Lights. Um, mm. My wife will kill me if I take her somewhere cold again because it's, for whatever reason, everywhere we've gone over the last two years has been exceptionally cold. Um, so <laughs> that's going to be later down the list for us. But um, if, if it just in general, like where some place that really like pulls me is uh, is the Northern Lights. The other place I'd go back to Cuba um, or explore South America more. Um, those are, those are my two things. Nice. It's a good one. Oh, you've talked a lot lot, to a lot of the writers from the show before, including you. But we're curious Mm -hmm. how you experience the writer's room. What's the vibe? Um, At this point, we're very, like, close-knit. We all know each other super well. And um, it's really uh, a very constructive vibe. Like, I know that there's some writer's rooms that are – very hierarchical in the way that they run things, but the magician's room is very, very supportive. Like everybody's ideas are valid and, um, you know, people are all about giving credit where credit's due for things. And, um, a lot of the time, like the best stuff isn't even like, Oh, this one person had like this incredible pitch. I mean, sometimes that totally happens. Um, but a lot of the time it's just like one person says something and it sparks another thing for somebody else. And then it becomes this like chain reaction of things that like we kind of like come to these great conclusions together. And it's, it's just really so collaborative and and such a blast. Um, it's like genuinely fun to be there all the time. (laughs) It looks like it. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a great work environment. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, and everybody's like really constructive too. Um, so we have one more question for Arjun. Before we shift over to 407, we just have to ask you about the scene with the two pennies from the last episode, from 406. Um, so how did you film it? What was it like for you in, as an actor? And then we had a question from at um, Bex Malarkey on Twitter. How much of the difference between the two characters is your doing and how much of it comes from the writers? That's a lot. That's, those are good. Um, I just, it was a huge gift to get, I mean, it was just so fun to put those two characters in the room and, and, you know, um, Christina was the one that wrote that episode, but obviously, as you mm-hmm. just understood, it's a whole writer's room sort of working together. So, uh, you know, just, again, just a big shouts to the writers for, for putting us, giving us uh, that opportunity. You know, I mean, this is kind of a, from an acting standpoint, we get to do so many things that you don't get to do normally on a TV show. Um, you know, I mean, I've already gotten to play the character, together once before in a dream and now there's then in season three we got to see a new version of the character and now i got to put those two new versions together um how did we film it was really fascinating it was a lot of changing Mm. (laughs) um because we would film we had the special camera for that that opening shot where i came in it was called a moco or something i don't actually you know i shouldn't say that because i don't really remember but it was some special camera that allowed us to do this shot where um, I'm standing there, Penny 23 is standing there, and then Penny 40 walks in and walks up. Mm-hmm. Um, that allowed it so that we could split screen that that whole thing um, and let it be less 
because a split screen can look so limiting from an editing standpoint. You're stuck like just one side, one side, whereas there, yeah, there yeah. can be very little movement. Um, so, and we fell into that once we sat, you know, once Penny 40 was sit, once like we moved past that moment of saying hello, then we got into the normal sort of split screen thing. Um, but Jamie Conway, thank God it was Jamie Conway because he's just such a great director and he's, he's just so empowering. And so he know, we know each other, Jamie and I know each other really well. So he knew how I like to work and, um, had a wonderful guy named Dejan who, who came in to play, had a really thankless job to be honest of being the other version of me when I wasn't there. And so I want to, I want to give him a lot of love because I wouldn't have been able to do this without him. And unfortunately no one gets to witness his work. Mm. Um, but he would stand in and do the other version of the scene while I was playing the other character. And then I would run up and change and change my hair and change the, you know, and then yeah, and the change vibe. the suit and then come down and, and do the scene. I mean, we did the whole thing in four hours, which was pretty trippy. Um, it's a lot. It's a long scene, and we were able to do it really quickly. And again, uh, again, at the angst and professionalism of everyone involved. Um, but it was really fun. I mean, it was trippy because, you know, you you switching brains essentially. Yeah. You know, between like in two minutes, and so it was a really interesting challenge. But it was so fun because of that. It was really fun, and I, I think I was really happy with the way it turned out. I think. I think you could, you know, a lot of people have asked about these differences between the two and and um, and it was nice to put them in the room so you could see. Um, yeah, you really can, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's very much what I wanted to capture is now at this point, this like big brother, little brother vibe. But like big brother from Penny 40's point, viewpoint and Penny 23 is kind of like, fuck you. I'm not why you, I don't have a big brother. <laughs> Like, what is going on? But at the same time, like, he also has no idea what's going on, so he's in this place. Um, To answer, what was it, uh, at Bex something, right? Uh, At Bex Malarkey. Uh, Bex Malarkey, thanks for the question. Um, We, how much of the writers is, how much of it is, it's actually, I'd like to say it's an ongoing conversation. At the end of season three, or like in the middle of season three, when they were introducing the idea of Penny 23, I had a conversation with Henry, John, Sarah about like, I think this was after I saw the script and we just talked about where, where, what was I interested in, in like, what was I getting? What was I responding to? Like just having a conversation so we could get on the same page so that what they're writing, I make sure that I'm, you know, giving them that performance. And at the same time, they wanted to make sure that I was excited about what was going on and and we were pretty much we were all really on the same page you know about um you know a version of penny that had that had lost that had experienced trauma or soon after um leaving entering break bills and and what that does to you and and how that makes you makes me instead of being the 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 kind of um the bravado of walking in the door and being in like Penny 40s, like, yo, I'm the yeah. dude. Like I walk <laughs> in and I'm, that's me. Penny 23 is like, sure. I'm the dude, but I also know that shit might come at me. Let me hang back a second. Why I don't need to, he doesn't dive in to things as quickly. He's, um, he's, he's, more careful. he's got, he's got a wisdom. He's just his, he, he understands the cost of things. You know, he's just has an appreciation mm-hmm. of the cost of things. And so he's not, he just takes things. He's a little more. He's a little less impulsive than the rest of our characters, which is which is really I think is a really interesting flavor um, 
that gets to be used in the show. Yeah, there's more about him, but but that's a, <laughs> but that, I won't bore you with all that. But that, to answer, you know, obviously the writers are the ones writing the stuff, so it's there. But you know, I have the the trust. I hope El, uh, I'm speaking for you guys, <laughs> but the trust to to perform it uh, how I see Penny Twenty Three being. Yeah, I I would totally agree with all of that like analysis of the the character for sure. I think that's like totally the intent coming in that he like set up that that scene the really great thing about it is that it shows both the contrast in like what penny 23 has been through but then also like how much penny 40 has grown through his time in the Mm. library as well which you get to see more in 407 yeah in this episode (laughs) yeah so, so maybe we should dive into the episode then. And um, before we do, I've been giving recaps for our listeners this season and, I don't know, like half of last season. So I'll do that now. To help a new librarian working through a bad case of white male protagonism, Penny Forty makes him review the books of three people he's filed away as side characters, Zelda, Fenn, and Katie. Zelda, in her story, learns that Alice has rewritten her book to throw the library off the scent, but instead of turning her in, she seeks her out and asks for her help to find Harriet, who she's learned is still alive in the Mirror Realm. Meanwhile, Katie solicits help from Lovelady, a.k.a. Pete, only to learn that the library is killing hedge witches. And in Fillory, Fen's having prophetic dreams, but no one knows what they mean. Just as it seems like our new librarian might never get over his white male protagonism, there's a twist. He's not actually new, and he's there to promote Penny, who will collect secrets taken to the grave, starting by the looks of it with someone he knows. So, Danny, what did you think of the episode? I loved the episode and we've talked about this for weeks now (laughs) (laughs) it it is probably I think it has taken the place of being my favorite episode of the magicians ever written I love it wow I love that that it, it, it takes this it really is just like these other characters matter and I feel like that's how I've always felt about a lot of those characters. And I I think all of the characters matter. Um, And it was just beautiful to see the way that it was done. It was nice to have Penny Forty back in that way. And it really, like, it seems like he cares a lot more now. Yeah. I also do think um, Penny 23 is, like, a way more caring version of Penny, but we can get into that later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll, We'll leave something for the rest of the episode. I will say, though, I I agree with you. Like, I think this is a fantastic episode. It is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, It's always hard for me to know, like, will anything ever fully take the place of a life in the day for me? But (laughs) this is is a really fantastic one. And and for many of the same reasons, I think, you know, the, the books have been criticized rightly for still being mostly about a white dude, even as they're trying to sort of deconstruct that narrative. And um, the show has always taken a more ensemble approach, um, but it's nice to see in this episode that whole premise get tackled head on in a way that I don't think I've seen any show really do. And I think because it's the magicians, the thing that I really find most exciting about it is that it's... It's in done in such an organic way, right? Those characters, those motivations come out of who those characters are. Um, they don't feel constructed just for the sake of of saying that thing. 
So I guess that that's that's where we should start. We should start by by asking both of you, our guests, about the message of this episode. Um, in so many of the stories that we have in in our in our culture, in our American culture, especially, the hero of the story is white, straight, and um, male, and that's basically true of the magicians' novels too. Um, Modulo Quentin's sexuality, though. It's worth saying that in the books, that's more subtext than text than it is in the show. Um, the show has always been about that ensemble, but still, this is the first episode that really hits that head on. So what does that mean to you as a writer and an actor working on the show? And why do you think it was important to do that now? And let's start with Elle. The books definitely touch on that because it's all, you know, Quentin realizing that he isn't necessarily, you know, the hero of his own story. Mm-hmm. And we kind of took that like spirit from the books and, and ran with it in a big way um, where, you know, as, as things evolve on this show, like each character has, you know, very distinctive things that they're going through and um, ways that they impact the, the broader plot as well. And so it was like really fun to get a chance to go and, take a deep dive on like a few characters that we hadn't had a chance to focus on for a few episodes, Mm. really just spend time with them and see like, okay, so everybody sees themselves as the hero of their own story. What does it look like if we follow them as the hero of the story? And, um, and then also they're not just the hero of their own story. They're actually heroes of this story in particular, like of this larger story that we're telling. Um, and the way that, um, every person has a role to play and you don't really realize the way that the little things that each person does on their own ends up adding up to like a cumulative effect that really completely can change the course of the way everything goes. Um, so yeah, it was really like fun to get to dive in on that. And that was always the premise of the episode. Um, though it actually kind of, it kind of started in a different place. Like the original, first version of the episode that we broke in the room did not actually have Penny in it. That was all a later edition. Mm. <laughs> um, wow. So it was, it evolved a lot as we went where it became, um, like it was always following, uh, Katie and Zelda and Fen. It had kind of different like devices that allowed us to like touch on like connecting scenes from previous episodes where we saw, when they'd cross through those stories, but the way that they diverged while that stuff was also going on. So that was kind of the way it was structured at first. And then we were like, we kind of did a, a draft of, I did draft of the script that way. And then we all kind of looked at it and we were like, we need something that more, I think can more directly and in, in a more meta way comment on all of that. And we had just mm. had Penny 40 um, in the prior episode. And we were like, he would be the perfect person to really be able to deconstruct yeah. for us. Why <laughs> this all matters on the bigger scale. Yeah. That's cool. I, it's cool to hear about that because I actually, the rumor on the rumors up in Vancouver were that none of the guys were going to be in episode seven, that it was going to be an all female episode, which all of us were like, that's great. Cool. Um, but, and then all of a sudden when I saw the draft, I was like, Oh, this penny 40 is like, uh, is kind of the frame kind of like, uh, six stories. Was that the name of the episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. David Griffin. Yeah. So kind yeah. of that framework, yeah. which was, um, so I was really, I I'd never actually asked because I, you know, when you're filming, you kind of get just like dive right in, but it was, it was interesting to hear about that evolution because I had heard that it was that, that Penny wasn't going to be in it. Arjun, what did it mean to you to, first of all, to like have this message be part of a show that you're a part of? And second of all, to be the one who gets to kind of deliver it. 
No, I mean, it meant everything, to be honest. It was, uh, I was really, felt a lot of things. Um, you know, the little kid in me that grew up in Florida around all, like, around a lot of white folk and didn't know I mattered uh, was so hugged <laughs> being able to hear this and say this. The, um, I felt really honored to be the character that got to say this. I know it wasn't, it had nothing to do with me or anything, but I just felt really honored that I got to, you know, that felt like a gift itself to be able to say those words, because I think that's, I think that's something that we're confronting in the world right now is this idea of who matters and who doesn't. Mm. We've always had this, this has been been an issue. Again, it's another way that power is abused. You know I mean? History is written by the victors. um, And in that way, like our stories like what point of view are we telling them? And you know, on a, on a level, uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, and the Me Do movement are saying, "Hey, these are our story. We are a part of the story. You have to listen to us because we're not just vehicles to help the story along. No, we are integral parts of the experience. And the story, of course, is is life. Um, and so." For us to challenge this idea that that we have to be really careful about who we lift up, you know, and and why we're doing that, and should we be doing that? Should those questions should always be asked? And it's not. I mean, in the story, it's the librarian's responsibility, but I think it's I think it's all of our responsibilities to be asking why are we lifting this person up? Hmm. Where do we shove these people in our minds? Oh, because because human nature is is such that we want to put people in a box so that we know them. Okay, we got you. Like, to know somebody, to feel like, oh, I, I know this person. That's very final, right? Okay, I, I know which box to put them in. Because that's what feels safer when you're talking about defense mechanisms. Right? That's a defense mechanism. Okay, you're not a threat. Oh, you're this person. I know where to place you, therefore I know how to engage with you. And that's all, I'm, there's no judgment around that, but it, I wonder if that's not doing us a service as we now need to learn that we need to engage in some spaces of gray. So like, how do I continually engage with you and recognize, okay, I've been placing you here as this kind of person, but, but maybe you've been evolving or maybe actually you did worse things that I wasn't aware of. And now I need to look at those again. Like we just need to, um, it's all our responsibilities. So I, I couldn't, I think this is, I'm thrilled to hear that it's people's favorite episodes because I actually think it's our most important episode that we've done. Yeah. On like I think it's really life. good for starting that that conversation around those things as well, because it, it is such a thing in the cultural zeitgeist right now. You know, rightly so. Like we're looking at like, OK, like wh- who are the people that we haven't been listening to or we've we've assumed certain things about that, like aren't necessarily true or we just haven't like his- historically given as much voice to and you know, getting to do that within the framework of, of our show on like a, you know, microcosm of that is, is really fun. Because like, what, what could be worse than saying to someone, you don't matter as much as the next person, or you're not valued as much as the next person, which is what these hierarchies of story do. Yeah. We say it all the time. (laughs) We say it all the time. And it's so like, that's, I mean, we, we look around the world, you know, and, and, I don't know if anxiety is shooting up because of what reason or if it's actually always been there, but we're just confronting it more. I don't know. I can't Mm -hmm. speak to that. But you can't deny 
that there's a lot of issues around anxiety these days and there's a lot of issues around self-worth there's been a lot of things talking about like on social media oh no everyone's like gets depressed like not everyone but there's like depression can happen because you start comparing yourself to others mm. and feeling less about yourself right and again this feeling of being less of yourself is as someone who experienced it and still struggles with that at times is crippling it stops you from mm-hmm. so much and it, it, it stops does. it stops people from um my guiding light quote is this Marianne Williamson quote, you know, our deepest fear is not mm-hmm. that we are inadequate, is that we're powerful beyond measure. It's something I talk about over and over and, and you know, thank you, Marianne Williamson. Um but in there there's a thing. As we unlock our light, we unconsciously allow those around us to unlock theirs. And for me, um Letting people know they're valued is a way of giving them the confidence and understanding and the permission, rather, so that they can unlock their light. Because all of us are capable of everything, you know. It's just who are we giving permission to? I think that leads nicely into our next question. Yes. Uh, One of our listeners, Kath, wanted to know what it's like to play a character whose life experiences are so different from everyone around him. That seems like an especially good question given the context of this episode, which is largely about looking at the same set of events through the perspective of people on the fringes. Arjun, tell us what it's like for you. This is why I love coming on this show. Look <laughs> at these questions. Um, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I don't know that I can answer how it's like playing someone whose character is so experiences are so different i think that the my job that's more of a writer's job to like look at all the macrocosm of it okay penny's coming from this experience quentin's coming from this experience what happens when they're put together they're thinking the big like they're they're in that way right Hmm. from the writer's viewpoint up there my job is to be deeply steeped as specifically as possible in what is Penny's experience? So Penny, I'm going to speak for this, is that he's experiencing... Which Penny, by the way, are we talking about? Both. <laughs> both. <Okay. laughs> um, because I think that... But it's different. Penny 40s is... Penny's 40 is like, oh, you all come from another world. And his defense mechanism is a lot around judgment and being like, well, fuck y'all. Like, y'all don't yeah. know shit because y'all came from this lily-livered white privileged place right and i came from wherever i came from um so that's his defense mechanism. so he his comes up so how he he experiences it um is a lot of like friction and tension and and kind of unresolved anger right it kind of comes out a lot for penny 23 the difference um it's it's he's sadder more of the time you know, and it's it's a little. He's just like, wow, Turns you guys inward. just don't know. Well, it's like a turn inward because he's like, wow, you guys don't know, and he's aware that you can't know until you've experienced it, right? There's a wisdom that came. I had my boy Charlie, who's uh, like seven years older than me. It used to happen when I was like 22. I mean, this dude's been my ace forever. And we, I would go through a breakup, and I would do all this sort of stupid shit, and I would say all this stuff, and I would like whatever. And he, and I would come to him for advice, and and then for the first little while he would, and then he stopped. He would just be like, "I'm not gonna say nothing. I'm here to listen, but I'm not gonna say nothing because you're not gonna listen until you just go through it, right?" And I feel like Penny Twenty Three kind of has a little bit of that now yeah. um, with this group because he because he's been through something that they haven't. Um, 
but how is it to play someone like that? I, you know, I don't, I, I just play Penny through his experiences. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I think about the other part of it. Oh, let's, let's start talking about the, the storylines. Um, Elle, why don't you tell us about Zelda? Mm -hmm. In this episode, it seems like her perspective on what the library doing is changing. What's behind that shift? I think it's a bit of like her, her, her attitude towards Alice, I think, um, and all of the stuff that's going on with her having these, these flash flashes of like traumatic stuff that's going on with Harriet, you know, Mm -hmm. where she, She's having these moments where she's experiencing like momentary deafness and she's hearing like phantom glass cracking. And, you know, then she's actually seeing Harriet in mirrors. And I think that between that, like the guilt around Harriet that's haunting her in these like physical and psychological ways um, is also sort of informing how she's behaving toward Alice, I think, um, because I think she sees some of Harriet in her as well. In Alice? Yeah. And, And, um, so she's kind of, I think the approach that she's taking to things with the library is that she is starting to realize that, you know, maybe there are other things that are important than just following what was set out in the rules of like, this is what had to be done. Um, and I think she's starting to, to branch out in that way where there are these very, like these lines in the sand that are drawn and there's this like very hierarchical structure and I think she's starting to um develop her own ideas about um where she where she should go next and what should be going on and how they should be handling things with certain uh people who you know don't fit into that exact system that they have set up yeah so as as we were talking about defense mechanisms um before the show and then just a little bit a second ago it's always struck me Mm -hmm. that like Zelda must be somebody who is, I mean, she's somebody who has gone through some traumatic shit, as you said. Definitely. And it seems to me like she, her defense mechanism has been to like try to order her life as much as possible. Like, I don't know if you have seen Russian Doll, but she's definitely more yes. of the, uh, <laughs> oh shit, what's the, what's the male character's name? Why can't I remember his name right now? Um, I haven't seen it yet, so don't okay. well, give me she's too many spoilers. Not <laughs> Natasha Leone, let's put it that way. So, right, she's the she's the one who tries to control her. Blanking. I know it's. I, yeah, I just watched it for the second I'm time. Literally drawing a blank, but I I love that show. Um, but yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. So it's like, yeah, I think she definitely takes um solace in like the order, like both the the actual like order of the Netherlands and all of that but then also just like order itself. Yeah. Order is a thing. It's, it's, it's comforting for her to have structure and things that are, you know, delineated as right and wrong for a given situation. Um, and I think that she is starting to realize that she personally feels a little bit murkier about that than the library would necessarily want her to. Um, like she's realizing it's not an end in itself it's just a tool that order yeah yeah and I think that her you know her willingness to go outside of the bounds of the library which like as you see at the end it's like you know she knows where Alice is and she goes to find her but not to turn her in Mm -hmm. um she's clearly breaking the rules of what her superiors would want her to do but I think it's in in service of something that she thinks is more important you know figuring out what's up with Harriet um, and, and dealing with all of her own guilt as, 
a mother, sort of her guilt as a, as a mentor to Alice in a way, too. I think it's clear since episode one of this season that Zelda really cares about Alice. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. quite apparent. Um, and it's become more, yeah, and more a lot apparent. Of but mm-hmm. Zelda cares about everybody. She, but yeah. Zelda's always been a caring. I think that. Sorry, I'm diving. If I may, wow. what's fascinating to me about Zelda is that, which is actually, and maybe I just think that's because of the Penny thing, and everyone's like kind of surprised when Penny cares. Is the way that, um, but it's the way that they deal with the idea of how do people care, right? Because it doesn't always yeah. look at. As, okay, I'm gonna a little quick story. My nieces, um, uh, when I was there to visit them. Um, they had just turned four, five, and it was three weeks after my grandmother had passed. And I was, I broke down on the couch. I was with my mom and my dad for the first time since it had happened because I was alone in Vancouver. And so um, it, I was breaking down. And one of my nieces runs up and like cuddles with me and is like Aww. giving me all this affection. And the other niece is just still sitting there doing the puzzle. And noticed it but like I and at first a part of me was like wow like what is what is that the next morning she came up to me and said um why were you crying yesterday and she had like this journey like why were you crying yesterday like what happened it's just again this thing of like again how do people care they can care caring can look differently in what ways and Zelda's always been a deeply caring person in her own way so that's my thing yeah, well, I mean, yeah. it seems like she's trying to protect people in, like, a broader sense, right? She's trying to protect humanity and to do the thing that she thinks is, like, going to be best. She has, like, a utilitarian view, right? Like, the best thing for the most people or whatever. Right. Like, she she does care about each of these people. Like, she doesn't want, you know, or she doesn't want bad things to happen to them. But it's if that's what's supposed to happen according to the books then she's going to follow Mm -hmm. that because that's like the rules that have been laid out. So she, of course she cares. And sometimes there's going to be stuff that happens that she doesn't like, but she feels like it's supposed to be. So she kind of doesn't really go against that. And I think that this episode, we see like the first time that she's breaking away from the idea of like, well, what, what's, what will be, will be, you know, and and being like, wait, what if, what if I don't like that? <laughs> you know. Well, and it's funny because we're seeing that at the same time as like Penny is bringing up this whole idea of like a prime directive among librarians, right? Like he tells the other librarian, we we see, we watch, we don't interfere, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. So like, just as he has drunk the Kool Aid, he's reading the story about the person who brought him into the library in the first place, deviating from that path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, then he's got a whole nother layer on it because he is, you know, in the underworld. And so the, the dead have like a different perspective, even on, mm-hmm. you know, meddling in the affairs, what's going on in the world of the living, I think. So he didn't um, just drink the Kool-Aid. He ate the pu- cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you got to wonder how long it's been in the underworld, like time. What is time? Yeah. Like? I had a question on that at one point. <laughs> Don't ask me. I ain't got no fucking clue. But it's clear to me because the kind of evolution that Penny Forty has gone through is not like a like a four week sort of thing. No. I mean, I think between I think between the end of season uh, three and where we are in season four, it can't have been more than like three months, right? Am I wrong about? Because like episode season four started two weeks after 
episode. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's safe to assume that time moves differently down there, right. and that yeah, like he's longer. definitely he's clearly had a lot of experience under his belt and right. like has risen through the ranks at this. Point. I mean, I was um, chained to a fucking cart last time you <laughs> saw me, and now I have an ill office, which again, if I if I haven't made it clear, gets even crazier. This <laughs> office. <laughs> This whole episode should only be about the office. You know what? If we want to be- make a better, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I won't make that joke. Um, Shout out to our production designer, Margot Reedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't wait to talk wait to her. Hate that, hate that amazing office. Yeah. Um, okay, so so we should probably move on. Talk about Katie, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> okay. So I'm also curious about what's going on with Katie. Did she just decide to become Sam? Elle, what do you think? I think that she realized that there were certain things about when she was living as Sam that she really wanted to bring into her own life. I mean, the fact that, you know, she's literally said as much in the show that she, she, liked, you know, having people give a shit about what she thought, you know, and, and like being able to do what she needed to get done rather than being the voice in the back of the room that people like overlook. And Mm. she's been feeling like, like a sidekick to a lot of people's stuff. And I think that, um, pursuing her own path and then finding sort of inadvertently becoming someone that hedge witches are looking up to, um, is a very like unexpected path for her. But um, I think that that's definitely something that that came out of her experience as Sam, where she was able to, like, have that leadership and, like, you know, those, like, investigative qualities where she's, like, able to figure out what's going on and, like, you know, know, really help people and and fight the good fight, you know? Well, and I think there's something really beautiful about her, about Katie, who has always sort of straddled the line between hedge witches and the classically trained, right? Like, she was... She was mm-hmm. feeding shit to Marina when she was at Break Bills. Um, yeah, and her, her mom, mom was a hedge. Right. It's, it's really, there's something really beautiful about her being the one who's having this, like, Norma Ray moment and leading the resistance, right? Yeah. Like, she means business, and she always has. Yeah, because for a while, she was, you know, like, among the, among the Break Bills kids, she was not one of the necessarily seen as one of the eight team, uh, the way people treated her, you know, in, among the break bills kids, but then among the hedge, which like, she was never really fully a hedge, which cause she was a break bills, like person who was kind of spying for hedges. So it, I think this is kind of her coming into her own and being like, this is my niche, you know, like I didn't fully belong in either of those worlds completely. Um, and now I'm like finding what my own path is going to be, you know, that's why I loved like when we talked with Sarah in the first episode about how they like instead mm-hmm. of fridging the girlfriend, they fridged the boyfriend. Like, <laughs> it's so yeah, good. yeah, because like I mean, what I think even from a character perspective that she would have been much more enmeshed in that Break Bills world and that Break Bills set felt much more attached to them if Penny were still alive. Right. So that definitely you know had really far-reaching like reaper percussions on on her as a character um just you know way beyond the mourning for penny side of it but really just like the choices that she's making in terms of like who she's aligning herself with and where she's headed yeah 
And Arjun, how do you think Penny feels watching her grow like that? Because he says he's happy she's moved on, but the other librarian dude doesn't seem convinced. Yeah, because the other librarian dude is kind of an idiot, right? He's not <laughs> okay, exactly okay. Much I think there's nuance. I mean, I think, I think what Penny Forty is recognizing is that, I, I mean, look, I mean, that moment, I think, was layered with a lot of things. Um, I think that, one, there's the aspect that he's the boss. In his mind, Penny Forty is the boss of this employee, so it's not his place to start opening up personally, right, to someone. Mm-hmm. Also, Penny Forty doesn't do that. <laughs> um, two, um, so I think the more telling way to know about it is when he's interacting with himself or the other version of himself. Mm. And that's where we get a more, a more clear understanding of what he feels. I think he's, I think he's accepted, uh, he's in a space of accepting, like, look, man, I, 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 I'm here now. Like, I died. Like, this is, this isn't, I'm not coming back. I can't, um, it's kind of yeah. like not. Well, it's kind of like, like he, bittersweet. Yeah, there's like a, there's a melancholia to it. Yeah, there's yeah. a melancholia to it. There's like because he, he recognizes. I mean, wouldn't for anyone that you've loved, eventually you do get to this point. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> for anyone that there's love, if the relationship didn't end badly, right? It just had to end for whatever reason. You want to be able to be in a place where you're like, wow, I'm like so happy for that person where they are. Like, why would Penny yeah. want her? Why would Penny want anything other than her happiness? Right? Yeah. And Penny he, Forty really believes that. He's seen her future. <laughs> he's read her future. So, right. <laughs> like, I feel like he has knowledge of that and is happy for her. So maybe this is like a little oracle moment where he's saying, like, the um, Matrix moment where the oracle says to, to Neo, um, Hey, what you're going to be stuck in was, if I hadn't said it, would you have knocked the vase over? Maybe he needed to send that message to Katie to send her further on the send her further on the journey. I don't know. That thought just came to me when, when Danny mentioned that thing. Mm-hmm. Knowing the future, I was like, oh, maybe he's like, I don't know. I don't I think know. That, I don't know that Penny should take credit for Katie's accomplishments. <laughs> No, 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 not at all. That's not, no, Jesus. See, now this is the what what happened there. This is <laughs> what happened there is I trapped you. <laughs> I, I, I see that, you know. <laughs> um, Don't I think worry, we know what you mean. <laughs> essentially, uh, I think he's I think he's feeling. Um, I think he is happy, genuinely. Um, but I think that he's also there's always going to be a sadness around that. Yeah. Yeah, always going to be bittersweet mm-hmm. to see this person yeah. who he still loves move on. Yeah. And saving the best for last, let's talk about Finn. First <laughs> off, I just want to point out how funny Brittany is in this episode. The scene in the pantry with Josh. She's like, she was just waiting there yeah. for her the whole time. Yeah, how long was she waiting there? Does it say somewhere in the script? <laughs> it doesn't say, but I had in mind that she... Like she went there and knew he was going to be coming at some point that afternoon. So she might've been there for like a little while. I might've been like, you know, in the dark for like a good, you know, 20 minutes or something, just sitting there waiting for him to show up. Um, <laughs> just buzzing with excitement. There was a moment that we found particularly delightful on the, the fence side, which is when she gives her big, like rousing speech about how she's like, I think that this is my quest and I'm going to go do it. But she tries to give the speech and keeps like stumbling <laughs> over it. And 
when we first did that in the table read, I think people thought that like Brittany was messing up, but really it was that Fen was messing up. And she was doing it exactly as she was supposed to. <laughs> and uh, when we got the the dailies of that, um, we were watching it, and I just remember Henry in particular just was like obsessed with that, like the the performance that she did in that speech moment, um, because we literally he would call in like multiple writers into his office and be like, guys, we have to we have to watch this Fen. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> It was really, it was really funny. It was. Um, it also seems like she's adopting some of Margot's mannerisms, like Ember's balls and all that. Is that intentional? <laughs> um, I think that she's definitely lost a bit of her like reservedness. Like she's definitely um, been exposed to a lot more things. I think from spending a lot of time around Margot, um, mm-hmm. and she's definitely not the like you know innocent little farm girl type anymore. Like she she's led a life at court and she's kind of seen some more of the world. She's seen some of earth now at this point. Like she, she is definitely like a little bit more, um, confident, I think. And she's trying to embrace that side of her, but then <laughs> as much as she tries to be Margot, she's like, she's not quite Margot. <laughs> mm-hmm. so she's like trying to take on that big leadership speech and you know but she does manage to like stand up for herself um which i think is a really big step for her because up until now she's kind of like you know supporting what needs to be done and you know this is kind of the time where it's like oh well you know she was leading the kingdom while people were gone you know she does have her own voice and her own ideas about what she thinks needs to be done and you know now she's got this thing that's just happening to her these prophetic dreams and she's like I think that this means that something about me is is special and that I need to go run with that and see what's up. Yeah, and I think, like, it's so endearing seeing her assert herself for the first time for all the reasons that you said, right? Like, she is going to take, she's going to stumble over the words and she's going to sound a little ridiculous, but she's going to get through it anyway. And she's still, like, she's so intent on on establishing herself and and taking on this role. And it kind of... It, it makes me think a lot of, you know, you see so many articles um, policing women's language and, like, telling women, like, oh, you should stop saying just so much and you should stop saying sorry and please and, like, all these things because it makes yep. you sound like you're not assertive. But, like, there is Fen who has been raised in the middle of all, like, the most feminine, the, the most, she's been raised with this, like, very traditional hyper-feminine sort of, uh, yeah, very traditional gender roles and very feminine um, yeah. gender roles. And very she, patriarchal world, yeah. Right, but she's not going to let it stop her, right? Like, even if she is going to have trouble getting the words out, she's still going to do it, and she's still going to assert herself, and she's still going to do the thing. Yeah, we were really excited to, like, get to end this episode with, like, her packing up to go be Adventure Fen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were, like, <laughs> we were going to make it all kinds of plays in the writer's room Adventure Fen, Adventure, or Fendiana <laughs> Jones. Oh, God. I feel like I shouldn't have laughed so hard at that, but, you know, made a good pun. <laughs> so, uh, the woman in green, though, uh, who do you think she is, Clara? Well, we talked about this when we first saw the episode, and my immediate thought was the Candy Witch. <laughs> yeah. 
immediately. <laughs> like, like, immediately. I like screamed it. <laughs> yeah, I think you actually, I think I heard you through the text message. <laughs> Screaming at the top of your lungs. <laughs> it's finally the candy witch. <laughs> there were so many question marks and exclamation points. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but that was definitely my first reaction. Um, the other thing that I just have to point out about all of these scenes with Fen, um, my favorite thing is watching Josh and Margot bickering um, over oh, the lizard, so Newt's commander. And Rafe is just sitting there. He is so uncomfortable. He's like, can I disappear <laughs> right now into the floor? <laughs> Do you think that Rafe... I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I... Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> you can go ahead. Did such a such a fantastic job of like bringing out the the comedy of that scene, and I think you know, I mean, uh, obviously, like the actors were just on on fire in that scene. Um, but then I also I feel like uh, our editor um, Matt's Abbott um, <laughs> who cut this episode. He just did such a great job of like getting in everybody's like reactions at the right time, mm-hmm. where you just get like that that moment from Rafe afterwards where he's just like oh god oh god what am I in the middle of (laughs) is just so delightful (laughs) I just I have so many friends like that that are like bicker like a married couple um and (laughs) she like and I think my favorite part is when Josh was just like oh is that a relationship that you're willing to set fire to as well like I was dying (laughs) (laughs) all right well um before we end our talk about the episode the biggest question that I had, of course, was who does Penny see in the elevator at the end? Who is it who dies? And I've, I've heard a lot of theories. They pretty much run the gamut. Danny, do you have any thoughts before I get into my own? Um, <laughs> what a squeak. <laughs> I, I mean, we've talked a lot about this, and I think that's what you're going to talk about next. But... Honestly, like, I, I keep going back and forth because, like, the first time I watched it, it, I felt, like, one way about it. Immediately, I think my first reaction was um, maybe it's Katie, and then I thought against it. And then I think I'm back to thinking it might be Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, we talked about this a little bit. There's There's been a lot of hyper-analysis of his facial expression and tone of voice <laughs> in that <laughs> last scene. Oh uh, man, I'm not that good an actor. Don't do that. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> you, you definitely are, Arjun. Well, but Ar- 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 so I, I prepped L on this, Arjun. I don't remember if I prepped you. I know this is unlikely, but there's a big part of me looking at what this episode is saying and like the structure of the story that wonders. And please don't eat me, fandom. What if it's Quentin? And. I think that makes for such an interesting thought experiment, right? Like this, this episode is all talking about how the white male protagonist isn't necessarily the center of the story. And the show has done that in a lot of ways. But what if it like went the whole nine yards? What would it mean for the show if Quentin died? So yeah, Danny, what do you think of that? I mean, we, we've uh, talked about this extensively uh, back and forth. I mean, we, we've gone from zero to 100 about it, and we've <laughs> thought of all the possibilities. I think I could come to accept it, but it would be a shock. Like, like that's for sure. It would be a shock to not have Quentin because he has always been so central to the story. And I also just don't feel like his story is over. Hmm. Because, I mean, you do get that beautiful growth for him in 
the magician's land that I just feel like they're not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> if it were to be real. <laughs> so of course I can't ask you to comment about anything in the real world, but Elle, I am curious, can you imagine a version of the magicians without Quentin and what would that look like? Well, the beauty of getting to do this episode that I'm really like grateful I got to write is that it, it, it really does lean into um, the way that every single person is important. And so by the same token, every single person is fair game. So like, yeah, it totally <laughs> could be Quentin. Um, it could be, you know, it could be Katie. It could be who says this is just one person, you know, <laughs> like, like, I thought for a while I mean, it was the other penny. <laughs> I thought that for like well, a hot it's second. Also possible. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, look what what happened when, like, we were just saying, like, the way that that Penny Forty's death really had such a driving impact on the directions that other characters have taken, like, especially Katie. I mean, there's like you could really extrapolate from any one of the characters dying where it would steer the rest of the characters in interesting new directions like directly through them dealing with that loss but then also like indirectly in what how do they function as a team and as individuals if one of them is gone you know so yeah i mean i think it's a fun thought experiment i think it's <laughs> you know worth it's worth running running the variables with literally any of our main cast you know because <laughs> it's all I, gonna happen eventually <laughs> I've also <laughs> gone back and forth thinking maybe there's a possibility it could be Julia. And especially mm -hmm. since in the books, it's like a really big, like the underworld is kind of the reason like she like, or not the reason she becomes a goddess, but it kind of like brings that out in her um, in the books. And so I'm thinking maybe it's, maybe she's not even dead. Maybe it's like a loophole. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We All we know is that they're in the underworld and that Penny hasn't seen them for a while. So we don't mm -hmm. officially know that someone is dead. And the magicians does like to play tricks on us. That's true. Also... We have seen people come to the underworld, but we've also <laughs> seen people, you know, die, die and come back. <laughs> Very... <laughs> yeah. Well, also, so, you, know... you, guys, you guys keep asking, like, what the show would look like yeah, without yeah. any of these main characters, but wouldn't, wouldn't it? be what the show is which is life hmm. you know no one's story is ever really complete when they when they pass right there's always yeah. more that was to be written but the books are clean in that way yeah you know what i mean the books are like have a clean ending and like it's a happy ending and it's like a really it's good there's a bow tied on it. and listen i love the books i think they're incredible but in that way they are false yeah and to what life is and and i think that our show has been attempting to um in a subversive way through fantasy and through these sort of like like fantastical this fantastical genre to make you look at what life really is um and so i think that mm -hmm. if someone's time was cut before their story ended i think that that would be really true to life and i think that what life would be was how do people grapple with it how do people deal with that because that's really all life is right is things happen and we deal with it and so right um whether it was again, I, I agree with that. I mean, like you, you can run the the, the show. The, there's no rules on the show. You know what I mean? I've died multiple times. I feel like um, <laughs> in multiple so timelines. 
Yeah, so I'm not really sure that, like, I'm not really sure that that's the point that you should even really be taking away from this episode or even really thinking about it, because I don't really think it's that relevant. I think the point is, like, this is life and, and, and people, and I mean, that's like, let's be honest, that's like the kind of tease, like attention-grabbing thing, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the, the reality of it is, again, coming back to what is life and where do we place people? Yeah. Where do you go from there? Yeah, because I, I fear that if everyone just starts yeah. thinking about yeah. whether it was Quentin or whether it was Katie, we're falling into the same sort of thought process that we're trying to address mm. in the, the episode, you know? Like, who cares? The point is that everyone, like, not who cares, but who cares if it's this person more than the other person? Hmm. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not the point. Right, because they're all important. Because they're all important. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. why it would devastate us regardless. <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea. <laughs> oh, right, but, even, but even Danny, like you mentioning that the, the that Quentin is central, I think speaks to an issue that that even that we all have to confront in this show. That Quentin is central to the story is is even just saying that runs counter to what we're trying to say in this episode. Yeah, right. Like, why is he central? Like, what about him makes him central to us? I mean, because the way they write this story, yeah. like, if you read it, like, if you read the scripts and the way they edit it, it's never, like, people have other, I mean, there's scenes where it's through other points of view, right? This isn't a Nurse Jackie yeah. where it's, like, everything funneled through her point of view. Well, right? and in this season especially, it, it doesn't even feel like Quentin gets that much more screen time than no, most he doesn't. characters. Especially, like, Margot or... <laughs> There's, there's you know. reasons that we love each of the characters and there's reasons that uh, they're extremely essential to the show um, because it's, you know, this like delicate ecosystem where like everybody has, you know, a purpose and like a reason that we care. And that's part of why why it would be equally impactful for pretty much anyone to be in that elevator, you know? Yeah, I think the reason I like thinking about it being Quentin, the reason, uh, like, okay, mm-hmm. seriously, fandom, don't eat me. But there's a part of me that really <laughs> kind of wants it to be Quentin because I think that would just be, right, like, that would be making making good on that promise, right? It would be saying, it would be not just saying everyone is equally important. It would be forcing us as viewers to actually accept that and cope with it and understand the show through a new lens and i don't know i mean maybe it's maybe it's too risky i don't know but like it 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 seems to be like such a good idea huh six weeks six weeks i think six seven weeks you'll find out (laughs) yep (laughs) okay so i'm gonna move us to fashion um i have so many (laughs) I have so many fashion Magalish, Magalish. <laughs> Danny, She's a I genius. Think you, I think you have the first question. Uh, before we get into the fashion elements in this episode, we have a question from one of our listeners. Thursday Euclid asked, why is Penny 23 so conservatively dressed compared to Penny 40 and his <laughs> chestlicious shirts? Chestlicious. <laughs> Arjun, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> um, well, you know, look, I mean, Magali and I spent a lot of time in when we were looking at Penny 23, like in the room, trying on different things and exploring like, you know, costume. And look, I'm married to a costume designer, so I, I, I really fully value 
its aspects in telling the story. Um, and what's beautiful about fashion is it's an expression of who you are. Um, so when you have a person that's less has less bravado, who's a little bit more muted, who's a little bit more like who's a little bit more like I don't need to be the center of attention because the center of attention is where the lightning strikes. Hmm. Like I don't need that. Hmm. Let me maybe that's not the safest place to be, and I, I've lost people because of that. Um, I think there's a certain uh, mutedness that will come. I mean, if you look at it, it's not just that there's more. He's more monochromatic. You know, that's something that we looked at. You know, he's much more earth tones. They're not as like bright, loud. You know, that's where he is now. I mean, what's going to be interesting to see is does that evolve as he becomes more comfortable in a new world where he is safer, right? Like where things are different. Like maybe will he evolve? That's an exciting thing to see. Um, but when you ask about why is he less exposed, it's because when you're more exposed, you're more vulnerable. You're you're, you're more open to something happening. And I think this person, this version of Penny is. I think he has a bit more defenses up. Yeah. Hmm. But don't worry. I'll like, I'll send you guys photos of my chest or something. I don't know. I'll help <laughs> you guys. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Good, good. Um, is there anything to add for you, Elle? Um, I think that's, uh, that's very right. I mean, and I think also there's like, because he came from this timeline that was sort of post-apocalyptic in its own way, like that I think there's more of a practicality to everything about him. Um, and I think that probably bleeds over into his choice of fashion, you know? <laughs> yeah. Arjun, I was thinking as you were answering this question about the chest delicious <laughs> Penny 40, um, you, you know, you were saying that we ask you such great questions, but I think in our first episode, we asked you about your butt and now we're asking you about your chest. Oh, it's just, yeah, I mean, still though, <laughs> but like, let's, let's talk about butts sometimes, you know? <laughs> Very under talked about sort of thing. No, uh, I, I, yeah, you got to mix in. You got to balance it. Got to balance gotta, it. Got to have some fun. Yes. Um, okay, so I have a lot of fashion points for this episode. Um, ev- for, one of them is just uh, ever since Sergio mentioned that purple is the color of mourning in Fillory of like grieving, I can't stop seeing it. And so in this episode, I noticed that Fen has that like purple cape shawl thing. Rafe has a little purple in his outfit. And then I think even some of the Florian guards were wearing it too. Did you notice that, Danny? I did not. Um, <laughs> so it's great that you did. Um, <laughs> but I'm assuming that there's still a morning Elliot. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I would assume so. The talking animals are not up and running. Yeah, it was a, it was a conscious choice to, to have that be still going because actually a lot of the events of what's going on on the Fillory side and with Fen is happening during like the time frame of the previous episode and so everything that was true during that where they're definitely still in the morning period and dealing with all of that uh it definitely carries through into this because it's all happening concurrently yeah yeah mm-hmm. um i also kind of wanted to ask about katie's look in this season especially i feel like it's a lot more functional than it's been in previous seasons especially like in season one when she was going for that bohemian look and a little bit into season two is that just a natural evolution of her character or did you want her to look uh did you want her look this season to keep her close to her alter ego sam um i think that uh it's partly a natural evolution but i think definitely like you know, bringing in, keeping in a little more of like the blazer kind of vibe and stuff was definitely a, a, a conscious choice. Um, 
some of that, some of that like no nonsense professionalism and functionality, um, that she had as, as Sam Cunningham, I think she, um, kind of carried forward with her. Cause it's like, you know, it was sort of her, her power outfit <laughs> in a way when she was the cop, you know, and it's like, I think kind of, um, maybe kind of lends her a little bit of that as she's going through her own stuff. Yeah. I love it personally. I love her new look. Yeah. Like, I think it looks great on her. She just looks so, she looks so confident mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Power suits mm-hmm. or whatever you were saying. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that since we talked to John and Sarah about Penny Forty's suit at the beginning of the season, I've been paying attention to what the other male librarians wear. And a lot of them are pretty generic, but I noticed that Gavin, who's the the other traveler librarian, has silver tips on the collar of the suit. Is that what you call it? The collar, the flaps of the suit? Wingtips. Wingtips. Yeah, yeah. He's got those oh, like, silver things. Oh, lapel? Okay, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. talking about the... Uh, no about the suit bit or are you talking about the collar of the shirt the collar of the suit oh the lapels okay okay so he's got like silver bits on the lapels um kind of like an old leather bound planner and there's also a little satin ribbon of one of them that's like a built-in bookmark that one of those planners might have um and i never noticed yeah, that everything that there's nothing generic about anything that 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 happens in a, in a maguri gugidashi ruangazi department there's um it's just sometimes it's hard to see all the details because yeah, there's yeah. so much going on, um, and because of because of the way we so well thought out. Every- also, also because of the way we light stuff, sometimes details get lost. Um, but you look at Howard from there; he had um, he had cuffs around his biceps that were made of spines of book. Ah. Um, you have details that are made by books of pages. So there's oh, there's a lot of you'll see pocket squares will look like spines of books. You know what I mean? Or like yeah, not pocket squares, so but like cool. the tip that goes. Yeah, so um, even all of them have that. Um, my uh, Zelda's pants are meant to look like uh, the pages of books fall, like falling. Cleats are designed right, to look like that. Right, the blue Right, so all that stuff is um, carries on to every, even, I mean, like I've watched and, I've watched them make the details for even the background artists that we have. And it's pretty incredible. Mm. Yeah. That's why we love asking the question. Uh, we always, Y'all like, is there something? Yet, have, right? No, we, we keep trying. We keep trying. It's hard to, yeah. hard to get in touch. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'll try to help. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We love asking our guests though, like the details that we might not have noticed. Like we totally. had no idea that, Dean Fogg always wore different colored shoelaces until uh, Rick told us. So. Right. Yeah, I mean it's hard to see that stuff. And the different the different ways that he ties his tie, right? Like we knew yeah. he mm-hmm. always had these badass ties, but you know we're we don't neither of us wears ties in our regular life, and so the you detail of the knot. <laughs> I've done it once. I actually I do. I I have to for work, and I'm god awful at tying a tie. Let me tell you that. You should learn how to tie the Dean Fogg knot. I'll send you the the tutorial. (laughs) I should. (laughs) Um, My husband and I, on our very first date, uh, were, like, being dorks wandering around New York just late. And you know how they, like, they sell ties and bodegas in New York a lot? So we got these two (laughs) bodega ties for, like, five bucks each or maybe five bucks total, a hot pink one and a hot yellow one. And that was probably the last time I wore a tie, but we still have them both. 12 or 13 years later. Oh my God. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, 
<laughs> I love that. It was it was it was a good weird first date. We just didn't want it to end. So <laughs> you guys are cute. Awesome. It sounds like it it sounds like it hasn't ended. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean the first date ended, but we had other ones, so it worked out. <laughs> um okay, we should move on to MVP. Uh let Arjun get some sleep. Get let Danny get some sleep at this point. <laughs> um I am going to split my MVP this week between comedic performance, which I'm going to give to Brittany, and dramatic performance, which I'm going to give to uh, Magena. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, Magena. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were both so brilliant in completely different ways. Um, And I feel like we haven't given Magena enough credit on our show uh, for all of the millions of times she's been amazing. But this episode was a really solid one for her. And Arjun, you were amazing too. It's just... There's, there's only so much to go around. No, it would be inappropriate in the scope of this episode to give Penny the MVP. All right. Also, well, I'll take that. MVP is an interesting, interesting thing in this one because um, how do you leave out, Katie? I know. Yeah, like, see, this all. is you my problem. Well, I'm gonna, all. I'm leaving some for Danny. So, sure. Danny, who's your MVP? Well, now I feel bad. I, <laughs> you want me to give it to Katie? Um, <laughs> I am actually gonna give it to. L for writing the damn episode. Boom, boom. <laughs> uh, yeah. Too kind, too kind. <laughs> Honestly, well, though, like, give it to the whole writers' room for coming up with all of it. <laughs> yeah, the whole writers' room. It's honestly like it. It's my favorite episode, so I feel like I would have to give it to the writers. Sorry. Wait, who's who's going to give the MVP to Margot for the Office? I just don't feel like we've talked about the Office enough. Like, you know what I mean? Pretty... Okay, well, Arjun, you're then, next. Wait, Who do you want to hold nominate? Hold a second. <laughs> I, I also want to... No, I just... You know me. I like to shout out everybody. <laughs> so I want to shout out Sally, who directed it. Yeah. Um, and then I want to shout out Ellie, because that camera... That camera movement at the top, where the camera goes up and over and then land, it's so beautiful. Um... Yeah, Sally and Ellie really have such a, a cool workflow and the, the the shots that they designed and the stuff that they came up with um, for, like, you know, ways to approach these these different scenes and, like, you know, keeping every moment that we cut back to Penny and, and Derek in the office, it just, like, kept it so fresh and, like, with full of yeah. movement. It's like looked amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're in that office for I mean, we stay we were there for an entire day shooting that thing. Maybe even two days, I don't remember anymore. But uh, like there's a lot of stuff that cuts back to him and I in that office. And how do you make that that could have gotten really stagnant and boring because yeah. the really easy way to do it is just like set up a camera and then do the whole thing. You know, but they mm-hmm. obviously were more interesting than that. And so the, you know, shout you know, shouts to them and there's always a big shout to our incredible crew up in Vancouver. Can't do anything without you guys. Actually, I gotta say, I I do want to go back and add Margot to my list because you were talking about how easy it could be for that room to be stagnant, but there's so much detail on that wall behind him. So Penny much. That like, so like that much. board map behind him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and I feel like every time, every time my like my attention started to drift, it would just go to like some section on that map, and I would be like, "Oh yeah." Why was your attention drifting? I, what was wrong with my not, performance? Nothing. What, what's yeah. going on? What do I need to fix? <laughs> the sass we get from the, you. <laughs> the, the trap. The trap is returned. Okay, Claire. fair enough. He's really good at trapping us. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a trap. 
Elle, how about you? Anyone you want to shout out? Anyone you want to add to that list? I mean, that list is pretty, pretty all-encompassing, I feel <laughs> like. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely felt like the, the shout out to um, our director, Sally, was really important because I think she brought a lot of really great energy to this mm-hmm. and really defining kind of some new looks for parts of our world and worlds that we hadn't seen yet. Um, and so like a combo platter of her and, and our DP, Ellie, um, they just, you know, did a beautiful job of that. I got one more. I got one more. <laughs> I want to shout out. I want to shout out Chris, John, and Sarah for um, their work in finding diverse directors and, and making sure that we have a group of people leading the set in, that are uh, diverse. I think that's incredible. I think it's needed. Um, I think it's fun for us. Um, so big shout to them. And then, you know, you guys shout the studio for supporting because they, they could, you know, ultimately, you know, directors are high. I mean, who are you not going to shout? Like, who Arjun, are you not going to shout out? You need to write a book so you can write an acknowledgement section because yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's be, your favorite part. There would be no book. Yeah, the whole book would just be acknowledgement. One poem and then acknowledgement. pages of acknowledgement. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, well, with that, I think we should move into the episode ratings. And for me, I mean, this was just the most perfect episode I could imagine. I would say 10 of 10, but last week we went off scale because Christina gave us sass and we gave that an 11 of 10. So I don't know. What's the highest rating on We Rate Dogs? Is it like 15 out of 10? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that is. That. So that's I my rating. Rating skip. <laughs> We've you given up. Is a valid <laughs> we we have so given up. I think we might have to actually remove ratings from next from next season because we just it's gotten ridiculous. But this is we a need great to episode. find. Like, I think we need to write like a rubric, like okay, like this <laughs> portion is like a whatever, and like this portion. Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. My Raven Club brain understands. My Raven Club brain understands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Danny. Uh, my turn. rating, I guess, would be the same. <laughs> fifteen to ten. I I just fifteen ten. <laughs> two two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so of course we're, we're not going to ask you to rate an episode you were in or an episode you wrote, but we would love to know. Just, I don't know, give us some more love fest about what inspired you about this episode. So, Elle, you start. One thing that's really uh, fun that we like to talk about in the writer's room is that we know um, an episode is ready to go off the board. Like when we, we break the story on the cork board and when we're ready to send the writer off to go write it is when we know that there's uh, stuff in that episode that people are jealous of. Like <laughs> if they're not the ones getting to write it. They're like, I'm jealous of that episode. It's ready to go you know Uh and like I was like the whole time we were we were breaking this episode I was like I'm jealous of this episode and I get to write it like I was very (laughs) excited that this happened to fall in the number order that I got to do this one um because it was I mean really it was such a blast to be able to do um such a you know a girl power episode you know a female-centric episode with these three awesome characters, awesome actors, and to get to also have a female director on it. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really fun on that level. But then also getting to do an episode that says so much about society right now and, like, the way that we view people 
and getting to be that like meta commentary um, was, it, it was really, really a blast to get to do that. Um, mm. So I feel really lucky to have gotten to do this episode. Awesome. Arjun? Well, he inspired me. I, I just, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I just, because I, I don't know that anything inspired me except for the fact that I got to say the words, which we've, we've, ta- we've you know, we spent a great deal talking about. But, um, so I guess it was really fun to get to live in Penny 40 for a while, um, you know, and, and get to, to live with him for, a f- you know, uh, a full episode to see where he is, where he's growing, who he is now. Um, it's pretty remarkable the shift yeah. that he's undergoing, which it's tracks with, which is a cool way of like seeing where he's going to go and, and, and how that parallels with the book. Some, um, it inspired me that we continue to have this conversation about diversity, you know, as we, and, you know, again, recognizing that it's not about female men, it's not about color. It's not about this. It's about like, how do we make sure, how do we, how we need to address those? Cause saying that you're colorblind or genderblind is ridiculous, but we need to address mm-hmm. those in hopes of getting to a place where it can just be like we're humans and we need to engage mm-hmm. with each other as humans. Um, and so totally. talking about that and starting that conversation and, and, and kind of, um, and seeing where it goes and you know look as artists uh if we can spark conversation i think we've done our job um and i think that if we can spark a conversation about this that will be inspiring all the reviews this season are insane like i think there's like an editorial about almost every single episode for (laughs) for bringing something to the table on tv that just no one else is bringing to the table i can't wait to read the ones about this one on wednesday night (laughs) Thursday morning. I really can't. <laughs> it's so, it's so interesting. I because I I have a pause. I don't read anything about our show like very like almost ever just because I don't I don't I don't want to. Um, but it's good to hear that. So thanks for that window. <laughs> um, You're welcome. Yeah, it's it's really rewarding to like get to be on a show that you know. I mean, it's like I love being on it because I'm a fantasy fan and like a genre fan in general but then also like being on a show where we get to like talk about real things that are like relevant to you know how people emotionally and like in society um it's really it's it's you know it comes from the the top down at our show for sure and it's just really awesome to be able to like get to tell those kinds of stories and and deal with those kinds of topics that are you know really important yeah, well, and I think right, a lot of the people in the writers' room are still pretty early in their careers. I feel like it's going to spoil you for like every other job. <laughs> oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Or maybe it'll just like, mean that you enforce that. Or not, because they'll be the people. <laughs> yeah, bring it other places. Yeah. yeah, I like That's that. True. <laughs> yeah. Carrying that, like you know, the the way to run on a show ethic forward. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think on that inspiring note, we are pretty much done talking about this episode. So Arjun and Elle, thank you so much for being here. Um, Arjun, I mean, both of you, thank you for being here. But Arjun, thank you for getting up at early in the morning and for calling in from halfway around the world. <laughs> it's not that early and there's technology that makes this really easy. So I, while I appreciate <laughs> the, the love and appreciation, um, 
it really wasn't that difficult. Um, I appreciate you guys working with my schedule since I, I wasn't free until this morning. And and again, for you guys with this whole wonderful community, um, I feel privileged that I get to talk to you guys. You guys ask some, you guys ask some really great questions. Um, I know I haven't been as present on the internet as much in the you last few weeks. You have a good which, excuse. No, for sure. So I, I was thinking about um, doing like an Instagram live thing where people could ask me their questions. Do it. Yeah, you should totally do that. Yeah, Everyone wants it. I'm going to do it. Uh, I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it after um, after the episode, after episode eight airs. Yeah. yeah. I think right then. So, yeah, but I, I just want to, again, thanks. It's always, you know, look, man, you guys reaching out is is a very sweet thing to do. So thank you. Well, Elle, thank you so much for writing this incredible episode. <laughs> Good to have a new favorite. Well, thank you week. for <laughs> thank you for like you know taking part in this like the conversation that that we want to come out of uh, an episode like this and out of the show in general. Like, I mean, you know, it's awesome that that this podcast exists and that we get to talk about all these things. It's really really cool. I love it. Well, you're both welcome back anytime, as you know, listeners. Thank you for joining us. Remember to subscribe, rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the kids are calling it these days. Um, You know why. Just do the thing. It's fun. And you can find us on that. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us just about anywhere you find your podcasts. And as always, you can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Mind slide. It's a troll. <laughs>